The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. What do I pick him? I mean, have I got a sign on my back saying gullible? Well, I thought he was a decent fella at first. You don't bring him into your house? Into your bed. You know, if they want to clear up the crime rate, they should stick me in the precinct and arrest any man who takes an interest in me. Use you as crim bait. <laughs> crim bait. <laughs> like that. Welcome to episode 64 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street catch-up podcast that will absolutely think twice about crossing Ireland because that clothesline of hers looks strong enough to hold the weight of 15 soggy duffel coats and take WWE's Undertaker's head clean off. She's taking his head clean off! That was my impression of Jim Lawyer. <laughs> Jerry Lawler, even. I'm not feeling very well. I'm Gavin. And I'm malazed. You seem to be feeling better. You had a kind of head cold. Yeah. Last night, that you seem to have been okay, kind enough all to pace, day, pass on to me. All day yesterday, I was mostly in bed. Took the day off work. My throat's all closed up. Achy. And I just had stuff to do. I had people to get back in contact with. And it was just absolutely the worst day ever. Ugh. Hurry. I'm feeling a wee bit better. This this morning, and you know, a day that starts with uh, the sale of some lamps is always a good day. I love lamp. I love lamp. I love lamp a little too much. I think we have far too many lamps in this house. <laughs> Most of them are for sale, though, so eventually they'll all go away. In fact, one pair might be going with us to Ohio next weekend. Oh, really? Why? Because I have a buyer in Ohio for them. And I, I don't want to ship them. And I was like, well, we're going to be in the Cleveland area next week. Do you just want to meet then? And she said, sure. So. Oh, nice. Yay. Yeah, it's going to be another shorter week for us next week. Absolutely. Because, while it was your birthday a couple of weeks ago. It is my birthday. Yes. A week from today. Yes. And it will involve no horses, no boats. Tick, tick. <laughs> no hikes. Tick. No antiquing. Oh, this is going to be so good. You're going to be bored of your tits. <laughs> no, no, because it will involve dead presidents and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the zombies. Have we mentioned dead presidents before? I don't know if we have. Uh, we collect dead presidents. Yes, we do. We've been to the grave. We have mentioned this before. Yeah. I think. We've, we've been at the graves of 22 yes. former presidents of the United States. Yes, we've been to two in Ohio. We have three to go. Ohio had a lot of presidents. Yep. So I think this. We chalked off Virginia over Christmas last year. Yes. So then we chalk off Ohio, and now they're starting to get a bit further afield. Yeah, we got to go to California mm. and knock off Reagan and Nixon. We have to go back to Texas because the last time we were in Texas, 
and we went to see Johnson. Bush was still alive. Bush was still alive. <laughs> so now we have to go back. And we missed College Station entirely anyway. So We drove through College Station. We drove by College Station on our way to Houston. I thought so. we went past Baylor. Isn't Baylor in College Station? We went by that stadium. Not very impressive stadium. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I just know that we decided to go to NASA instead because because of the kids. And actually, NASA was pretty cool. It was The Johnson Space Center is absolutely something that everybody should go and visit because it's really cool. Right. We do. We love we love space as well, as as evidenced by the, the space shuttle floating over your head. <laughs> <laughs> so long story short, we will be doing our Monday, Wednesday thing Yay. next week and then we'll catch up the week after that. Correct. Shall we preamble, Amadea? Absolutely. Cody News. Fuck off. <laughs> That's how every professional news report should start. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off and read your own news, you lazy swine. Especially when news is awful, as, as news has been pretty damn awful in this country the past week. But I'm I'm not I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. Let's skate on. <laughs> <clears throat> Coronation Street has confirmed that Eileen Derbyshire will be returning briefly to reprise her role as Emily Bishop Hooray. in an episode that will be airing in October. The show is also confirmed a new sexual abuse storyline involving Paul, played by the brilliant Peter Ash. This storyline will hopefully explain some of the hostility Paul feels towards his mother. Ooh, intriguing. Yes. Kim Marsh, who plays Michelle, has expressed an interest in following in Catherine Tildesley's top shoes and appearing on Strictly someday, but only after getting some more acting roles. So somebody please hire Kim to do some acting so that we can see her cha-cha-cha. Ooh. Cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> and I that's Corey News I kind of hope they cover that up Do <laughs> Cover did, what up? Didn't she get I thought she got a gig You mentioned a gig that she got last week didn't you? Yeah but it's not acting It's presenting oh, For that, right, yeah. that uh, show about Just ripping off Yeah romance yeah, Cons Catfish Yeah essentially Is that the Corey News? That's the Corey News That's three items That's what I do Brief and to the point Yes Our mailbag Friend of the podcast, John, got in touch. He'd never heard of Marie Kondo until Claudia referenced her, and then a few days later, as he was watching the final episode of Orange's New Black, she was referenced again by Fig, who also has fabulous hair. Yes, yes she does. John says, I like Helen's mention of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which I knew about from the fantastic and very sad Gordon Lightfoot song about the disaster. Ah, yes. And he saw some speculation, not a spoiler, that Jan is maybe working undercover. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That was our teaser on the Twitter feed a a week or so ago. Who also I think aired that. Yes. Suspicion. We shall see how that pans out, shall we? Hmm. Then Mark was on Facebook this morning, (laughs) calling us soldiers for keeping on going. I I feel like a soldier today, right enough. Yes. Uh, He says I've been listening to your Corey podcast for a few months now and love it. 
Aww. Thank you for all the effort you put into making it. I've watched Corey since 1979 and never realised how much detail I actually miss until I listen to you guys. Aww. You should definitely be headhunted by Granada for starring roles <laughs> in the street. You'd be a breath of fresh air. Aww. As Helen goes about telling everyone to fuck off. <laughs> and that's from an otherwise dull England. I'm going to sit down with a cuppa and a pussy on his lap and listen to our latest production. Thank you so much for that, Mark. That was yes. He called us the the next the new Hilda and Stan. The new Hilda and Stan. <laughs> that, was kind of, that cheered me up this morning as I was. <laughs> yes, between that and the sale of those hanging lamps, I'm uh, I'm well chuffed with today. Today will be better than yesterday. So far, so good. So far, we should point out that we have a a yard sale going on next door. Next door. So, if you hear any yard sale noises. Well, that's what that is. Yeah. Hindsight Corner. Is it safe to eat monkfish while pregnant? (laughs) It is. Oh. But it's best to limit it to just one serving per week. Aha. Fish to avoid... Fish to avoid? Fish to avoid include shark, swordfish, king mackerel... Tilefish, big-eyed tuna, marlin, and orange ruffy. Yes. Scott wrote in, I think, maybe two weeks ago that I missed. Uh-huh. He wrote in to clarify the UK Pride schedule. Read the Pride confusion, he says. Uh, in the UK, Prides take place throughout the year. The big ones are London at uh, the end of June, start of July, Brighton in July, August, and Manchester on the August bank holiday weekend. But there's at least one practically every weekend from spring to autumn. And for more information about that, you can go to gayprideshop.co.uk slash pages slash UK hyphen gay hyphen pride hyphen calendar. <laughs> yeah, and we were talking about this the other day when um, Scott initially wrote in with this and we couldn't really think of like one unifying event like the Stonewall riots here in the US that would identify a certain time of year to have an anniversary and to identify as like a gay pride month in the UK. So that makes sense. That I quite like the idea that they spread it out. All over the place. So to speak. <laughs> but not like that. <laughs> Just like it's nice to have several weekends to go away and do that. So you've got if you're in Liverpool then you've got Manchester and Birmingham that you can go to and right. probably not too far from London as well. So you could yeah. make a Make a whole summer of it if you so desired. Right, yeah. Um, I think Canada is the same way because my brother went to uh, Vancouver Pride last week. Right. So he jumped over the border from Seattle. Right. So. So you think they just have uh, yeah, one or they have no, it spread No, I think out? Canada spreads it out as well. But not like that. <laughs> I'm not sure what Actually, I meant by that. Absolutely like that. <laughs> I guess that the, uh, it's actually the Mary Celeste, it's not the Marie Celeste, that disappeared in the 1600s. This is wrong on two levels. Mm-hmm. First, it, did, it didn't disappear. No, no, it's just the people disappeared. <laughs> the people on board who disappeared. Yeah. And second, it happened in 1872. Yeah, I knew it was much later than the 1600s. The real name of the pub that served as the exterior of Cheers in Boston was the Bull and Finch. Yes. Which I knew immediately as I saw it. Right. Of course it is. Of course it is. The pig and whistle, I think, I guessed. <laughs> or the the bull and something. So it was kind of close. 
Is there a place called the Pig and Whistle anywhere in the world, do you think? There's bound to be. What are you drinking? I'm drinking coffee. I'm drinking a um, apple crumble pour over with sweet cream. Cause, what? Because I, uh, I got fancy coffee this morning because I was meeting at the fancy coffee shop uh, to sell the lamps because the guy who was buying the lamps and I are both the friends of the proprietor of the coffee shop. So, because Mark knows everybody. I kind of like just regular non-fancy coffee, but this is actually quite nice. Yes. It's just drinking? black coffee. Yeah, you're just like drinking reg- regular black pour-over coffee. Uh, pour-over? What do you mean pour-over? It's where they 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 brew it right there individually for your for your cup. They pour hot water over coffee beans and then the coffee drips into your cup. That's those little V things that you see on the counter there at Mark's, if you've ever noticed. No. In the thousands of times you've been to Mark's. <laughs> I haven't been to Mark's very often at all. Been quite a bit this this uh, summer because group. our writers group meets there, the second and fourth Thursday of every month. <laughs> March by Cedar Rapids, Michigan. Yes, if you'd ever like to stock us. Four double eight two seven. <laughs> and all other times I'm in Darbs. <laughs> or or Abies or Craft. Or Craft, we spread the love about. But not like that. It's <laughs> going to be one of those days. This is a morning podcast. I don't I don't get morning podcasts. I much prefer to do this at night. Oh, The Pig and Whistle was a Canadian musical television series that aired on CTV Television Network from 1967 to 1977. Hi, Helen. <laughs> it's also a restaurant in New York, The Pig and Whistle. There we go. Times Square. You can book your next event there online. <laughs> I was just oh, curious. My head is so sore. <laughs> <laughs> About The Pig and Whistle. If it was an actual place. And it is. I yeah. also have a Diet Werner. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't drink soda because kidney stones. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. So you can go back to bed. We had quite a few stories this week. Not all of them particularly long. I thought this week was, uh, was pretty good. Monday, Monday, Wednesday. Wednesday, I loved, loved Wednesday's episodes. Or loved at yeah. least part or most of Wednesday's. Friday... I don't know if it's just because we're feeling kind of out of it, but Friday annoyed me <laughs> quite a lot. I was just really surprised that the Wednesday stuff happened on Wednesday as, as opposed to Friday. Right. Usually, you know, these stories come to a head and we have our dramatic finish. More like 10 a week. On a Friday. So it was it was kind of a... Dump squib Friday. Right. It was just cleaning up old things and hinting at new things and actually there's a storyline on friday that absolutely is the most obnoxious and annoying and stupid thing ever so oh and i actually don't know specifically what you're talking about so i'm <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to getting to that but uh. our first story tonight well our first story tonight is our last story tonight so let's go on to our next story story two which is conning claudia on who, monday who in claudia conning Con- oh conning conning Okay. Conning Claudia. Yeah. Claudia's been conned. It sounded like you said corny, and I was like, it's not that kind of podcast. Imran <laughs> 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 and Toya are about to start their day, kind of sick of living with Ryan and Alia, who are constantly playing tonsil tennis, and Craig, 
whose beauty regime occupies the bathroom for hours. He's probably just having a wank. He's nabbed by Claudia, who reveals that thanks to the bail hostel, she's selling up the flat before she's moved in, and she doesn't care if she takes a hit on it. Such a snob. And Imran sucks a thoughtful tooth at this. Mm-hmm. Toya turns up at the law office, Imran's called around, and she thinks it's to get their hole. But no, he doesn't want his hole. He wants to ask her to move in. Well, Cla- he wants his hole too. Claudia's selling up, her flat's going for a song, how about it? Toya worries if it's a bit soon, and Imran worries that it's across from the bail place, but they decide to go for it anyway. And also get their hope. Yes. Afterwards, Imran speaks with a contact in the council and learns that, oh, wait a minute, that bail hostel thing isn't happening and it may never happen. And keeping this to himself, he offers Claudia 10 grand under the asking price. Then later, Imran meets up with Toya. He has a meeting with the bank tomorrow to talk about a mortgage and Toya is a little taken aback that this is moving so quickly. Then Imran reveals that the bail accommodation isn't happening. <gasps> and encourages Toya to keep shtoom about this to Claudia, Ooh. and she doesn't know, and this is how they're getting the place so cheap. So this is Imran's first mistake, telling Toya. Yeah, seriously, it's like he doesn't even know her. Right. What's up with that? And later, they're still in the pub, and she's not in the mood for drinking or celebrating. It feels wrong stitching up Claudia like that, and Imran points out that if they tell Claudia the truth, she'll either take the flat off the market or charge 10 grand more, and that'll leave the two of them stuck living with fucking Craig forever. Aw, poor Craig. On Wednesday, Toya still isn't happy about the Claudia situation, and Imran says he has a conscience, but his priority is getting a place for the two of them (gasps) at the best price available. This is how property sales go. Toya doesn't want such a... Yeah, well, you always kind of try and get a deal, don't you? Yeah, but not conning old ladies as stuck up and snobbish and inappropriate as they are out of their homes. Toy oh. doesn't want a nasty taste in their mouth. Too late. <laughs> then along comes Claudia who slags Toy off for being a bit of a do-good or hippie uh, type person but thanks her for taking that flat off her hands. Later Toya joins Claudia at Roy's Rolls. It looks like Toya is about to confess but Claudia has been such an unmitigated cow to Roy about burning her toast. It looks like she's been given some pause. But then, she hasn't. No. Because Claudia tracks Imran down to the rovers, and she gives Imran a chance to come clean, and he acts ignorant, so Claudia has to reveal she knows about the bail hostel thing. She calls Imran a weasel, and she hopes he has a lonely, miserable life, and by the way, the deal's off. In comes Toya, who, let's remember, was quite happy about lying about Eva's baby, and she just couldn't lie to a horrible, rich and fabulous old lady. Imran was doing it for the two of them, and Toya insists that she's not in the wrong here. Imran thinks that maybe the two of them isn't such a great idea after all. Well, maybe she's she's grown a conscience since Eva's baby. Maybe she's realised that... I think it was the honest, Eva's baby thing was the honest, bit that was out, out of character for yeah. her. This she was just so f- desperate for a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This does feel kind of... More like her. In character. Yes. Imran should really know that. And Absolutely. I've yeah. kept that to himself. Absolutely. Claudia Splinter guts to Ken about the Imran situation. She doesn't have to sell up anymore, so it's back to plan A. Lucky Ken. He gets his life back, and he can't conceal the joy that he's getting from the woman who he purports to love is moving out. Yeah, but is he? Is he happy? He looks thrilled. But then he kind of thinks about it. Hmm. Then the rovers. Rita is moaning to Ken about Brian eating all the profits from the cabin and lemon bonbons. Yeah. Ken's a million miles away and tells her about Claudia moving out. Rita asks if he's celebrating, and he thought he would be, but it turns out he thinks he misses her. And uh, 
she tells him, well, why don't you talk to her? Mm-hmm. He thinks that he would, but she seems pretty happy too about the, the moving out thing. Right, yeah. This is a classic. Why don't they just talk to each other? Right, yeah. Mm. Later, done to death. Later, Ken's now talking to Evelyn about passion. She says a man needs a passion, and he does, for books and classical music. She tells him that life's more interesting when they have some skin in the game. Then comes Claudia, who's been contacted by Rita. What do you want, your nosy cow, asks Claudia. <laughs> and Rita wants to know what she would do if Ken asked her to move in. Claudia thought Ken was too happy to see her leave. But Rita, because Claudia and Ken are now children, basically asks them both to move in together. Sort yourselves out, she says. I think that's as far as we get with that. Yeah, pretty much. And it, and it seems like that is actually what is happening. So maybe Claudia's going to keep the house on the market after all. But she's not going to be selling to him, Ron. No. Not anytime soon, anyway. No. Hmm. Ken and Claudia together. They deserve one another. <laughs> Let's be honest. They're the two snobbish people, most snobbish people on the street. So yeah. it works out. You get the Ken and Claudia you deserve. Right. Yes. They both have fabulous hair. <laughs> they do. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't be bored talking about that anymore. No. Sebelina's next. Yay! I like this storyline mostly. This is really the the main story of the week, I think. Absolutely. Isn't it? Yes. I was quite surprised how quickly this moved, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's my one my one niggle about it is that it seems to have you know one of the most interesting storylines that they've had in the past couple of months seems to wrap up rather quickly while we while we're still going on about the stupid roof (laughs) and very little alina as well anyway yes on monday seb goes round to see faye desperate for her help it's about alina but he needs faye to swear to secrecy so she does so Seb explains about the human trafficking thing and Faye doesn't know the half of it. Eileen's put Seb onto a charity who have told him to get Alina to give them a call. Fair enough, says Faye. What do you need me to do? So predictably, Faye goes to the nail salon pretending to look for a manicure. She'll take the cheapest one they've got, thank you very much. She takes a seat and apparently it's Katya who will be along shortly. Faye finds out from Katya that Alina isn't working today but she'll see her later on. So Faye slips her a note from Seb just as Rachel comes along to check how things are going. Cash only, she tells Faye. She operates a very rude nail salon. Yeah. She's rude to all the customers. I thought it, last week when she was rude to to Abby, that was because she didn't trust Abby, but she doesn't know Faye. No, but Faye is obviously not an upper scale customer. And at first she's kind of polite to her. I think she sees the note. Oh, did she? Yeah. That would explain that. Yeah. Also, as you know, she doesn't like the customers talking to the... Technicians. Right. But isn't that kind of normal to talk to the technician? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's part of the fun is, you know, happily chatting away to the person doing your nails. And About holidays and boys. And doing your feet and stuff. No. But not like that. <laughs> well. Back home, Seb isn't happy that she didn't give the note direct to Alina. He's terrified that something might go wrong. Then Seb gets a text from Alina saying she got the message and begs him to get her out of there. Today. Seb turns up at a seemingly deserted nail salon. Uh, he's kind of stupid here. He sneaks through the back where someone tries to put a bag over his head and that 
just cracks me up. It was so funny when he's when his wee head moves in the bag and turns round. <laughs> it's in the bag. I don't know why. It was hilarious. I'm, I'm surprised they ha- could find a bag big enough for his hair. <laughs> I'm not sure why th- what the point of the bag was. So that he doesn't see who hits him. He doesn't see it anyway, does he? No, he doesn't. No, because he's got the bag. No, but he struggles out of the bag. Oh, yeah. And uh, it does look like he sees who we are to assume as Nikolai, who knocks him out with a wooden bar. <laughs> It's so stupid. Nikolai is joined by Rachel and Jan, and Jan says he's going to deal with Seb, but Rachel says that he's had his chance, it's too late. This problem needs a more permanent solution. And Jan manages to talk Nikolai out of killing Seb, and Rachel agrees, but Nikolai points out that Seb saw his face. Jan then asks for Nikolai's car keys. He's got an idea. So he loads Seb into the car's back seat. Seb's still unconscious, and Jan speeds off. And he dumps Seb in a wheelchair in the hospital, still unconscious. He's been unconscious for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes here, from one blow to the head. Right, yeah, and that's, that's, that's bad. <laughs> if you're concuss- you know, if you're unconscious for this long, there's it's... bad things happening in your brain. Right. and <laughs> Maybe he's faking it. And Jan leaves him, but on his way out, he's spotted by Ali, who's mm-hmm. on his way in. And Ali then finds Seb, and he puts two and two together. Abby's playing some grime music loudly on the garage radio, which is enough to spark Kevin to a diatribe about, amongst other things, how shit rap is and how Kim Kardashian has got a par five arse. <laughs> Abby has been recording <laughs> Abby has been recording this for her stupid Kev the Crank idea. And then Abby gets a call from the hospital. And it's about Seb. He's been hit over the head and has been unconscious forever. A concerned Kev tells her to lock up the garage and he'll take her to the hospital. Which was lovely. So the two of them are in the waiting room while Seb is taken off for a scan. Abby rests her head on Kev's shoulder, wishing she had a time machine to go back and right all the wrongs that she's done in her life. And Kev tells her everything makes everyone makes mistakes and calls her a good mum. The doctor comes along and tells Abby that Seb has suffered a concussion and he's broken some ribs somehow. How did that happen? In the fall, maybe. But he's going to be fine. She goes to see Seb and sends Kev home and on his own, Kev has a look like he definitely wants to hit that up. Well, no, not you. That's nice. He's going to hit it up in a nice way. A very considerate way. Yeah, if you say so. Then Jan is in the van when his phone rings. And I can. <laughs> it's Eileen who tells him about Seb. Jan says he's in Birmingham and won't be able to get back until tomorrow. He asks her to keep him updated. Then Jan then goes into... Uh, the nail salon for Nikolai and Rachel say that they're not impressed with how Jan has been dealing with things. Hiya. Hiya. It's, I didn't say hiya. I oh. said hiya. And it's a, too bad Eileen doesn't have a, that whole find my friends thing that Sarah and Bethany remembered that they had a couple of weeks ago. Right. Because then she'd know that Jan was not in Birmingham. Do you think Jan would be the sort of person who would accept Eileen's <laughs> uh, find your friends request? Hmm. He'd might, he might say no to that. Yeah, probably. But yeah. But you never know. It's just, again, the, having mobile phones easy. just causes no end of problems. And it would be very storylines. It would be very easy to find out that he's not actually in Birmingham, though. That he's still in the How? area. Just, it's a small area. Somebody's bound to see him. Got the 
most massive beard on the street. So well, well somebody's already seen him. Right, Ali. Mm-hmm. Seb has got the police at his bedside, but Seb tells him he's got this uh, comedy bandage wrapped around his head. <laughs> <laughs> but Seb tells them that he can't remember anything about the attack. The police don't seem to believe him, but there's nothing else they can do, so they leave. Then in comes Eileen, and Abby tells him to drop the amnesia act, and correctly guesses that this is something to do with Alina. And Seb explains what happened, and Abby tells him that he needs to tell the police. Seb says, yeah, about that, there's some other stuff you don't know. Then in comes Ali, uh, who casually reveals that it was Jan who brought Seb in, Jan who's supposed to be in Birmingham, and who was surprised that Seb was in the hospital. He's been lying to Eileen, and she's determined to get to the truth. Uh-oh. On Wednesday, Rachel, Jan and Nikolai have a little recap conversation to remind us that Nikolai wants to kill Seb and is worried that he'll blab and they both pressure Jan about the success of this operation. For some reason, Jan seems to be in charge of getting the people from Dover or wherever it is they're coming in. And also they need to move out of the Weatherfield nail salon and to do that, Jan needs to go home to get his tools so that they can dismantle everything. I was kind of surprised that they've done such a rush that they don't just leave it furnished. But Fingerprints Jan, or something. Well, know. they kind of know who has the nail salon. Anyway, Seb's got his bandage off when Eileen comes in to visit. Jan didn't come home last night, and she can't believe that she's fallen for another dodgy builder. But Seb wonders if Jan was behind whacking Seb. Mm-hmm. Why would he have taken him into the hospital? Eileen just knows that Jan knows something. Eileen goes home and meets Jan. He maintains the Birmingham lie, so Eileen gives him a chance to get anything else off his chest. And he doesn't, he just asks about Seb, and Eileen re- reveals that she knows that it was him who took Seb to hospital. Uh-oh. He, he says he has no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> she tells him about Ali, but Jan insists his innocence, and then says he's going back to work, he'll call her later. I don't know this Ali. Who is this Ali? <laughs> <laughs> Abby goes in to see Seb, who hasn't heard from Alina. Abby tries to talk to him uh, into going to the police, but... And I'm having trouble following his logic here. He says that Alina wouldn't be safe if he did that. And he promised that he wouldn't anyway. Is she safe just now? No. No. And I would think that at this point, calling the police is a moot point as far as... I I mean, I could kind of see in the beginning, before Faye passed the note and everything, how going to the police may not be safe for her. And also, I don't know about her immigration status or anything, if he's concerned that she might get deported back to Lithuania. So Romania. Is it Romania? Yeah. Oh. Is Romania in the EU? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> if only there was a way to find out. <laughs> Do I care enough to look this up? Yeah. <laughs> it is. So, she's free to be there. Yeah. Okay. Jan is dismantling the nail salon when Nikolai and Rachel come in. They need them to hurry up as there's a new batch of girls waiting at Dover. From Hungary, yes? Yeah, something like that. Then Eileen comes in wondering if Jan maybe took a wrong turn on the way to Birmingham. And failing to read the room, she demands the truth from him. Jan tells her to leave, then admits that he's a liar and a cheat and the relationship meant nothing to him. And he yells at her to get out. But Nikolai isn't keen on letting her go. Meanwhile, back at hospital, Abby doesn't think this is helping Lena very much. And yeah. every second he lets this happen, more people are being exploited. Correct. She repeats her plea for him to go to the cops. Jan promises that Eileen doesn't know anything. She's just a stupid woman, but Nikolai doesn't trust her. She threatens to call the police, 
but Nikolai steals her phone from her and drops it to the floor. I wonder how Eileen saw that plan going, I wonder. And Calling the police in front of this very scary looking individual. And it shatters, like, immediately. It just falls to pieces. It's it's worse than an iPhone. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Rachel begins to wonder whose side Jan is on. While Jan and Nikolai argue in Polish, Eileen pleads her case to Rachel. She just thought Jan did odd jobs here. That's all she knew, and the only reason she followed him was because he said he was working in Birmingham. Rachel seems to believe Eileen, who pleads to be allowed to go. Nikolai lifts the hammer and attacks Jan with it. Rachel prevents Eileen from leaving, so Eileen fucking lamps Rachel. Yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) She's about to go to Jan's rescue, strangely, when armed police storm the nail salon. Everyone drops to the floor, and all of them, Eileen included, are arrested for human trafficking. Yes. Poor Eileen. The gang and Eileen are bundled into the police station. Eileen's protesting her innocence, but she'll get interviewed just like the rest of them. Yeah. The yeah. guy, the guy asks her if she she wants a drink, and she's like, a double brandy. What, like a double brandy? And he's like, water, tea, or coffee. Yeah, and I'll have a cup of tea then. Jan gives her a furtive look from the other side of a set of bars. Then Abby comes to the station to collect Eileen later. Seb told the police everything. They talk about Jan being part of the trafficking gang. Yeah. How does she pick them? Eileen asks. <laughs> Pig's tits, she says. Abby calls Eileen Crimbait, and they all have a chuckle about this, and then go home. Yeah, and supposedly there's a guy kind of checking Eileen out from a car. Who they reckon is probably a serial killer killer or something. (laughs) Meanwhile, Paula is in seeing Jan and calls him a hero. (gasps) Why? Uh, uh, She reveals that Jan is an informant. (gasps) and whose information has helped put this gang behind bars. What? <laughs> he wants to see Eileen to explain, but Paula says that can't happen, and for his own safety, he should move away and never contact Eileen again. If he's oh. an informant, why has he been held in a cell? Well, because they, they need to make it look like he's not an informant. Okay. That's uh, why he's being held in a cell. They had to put him in a cell. Hell in a cell? He had to put him in a cell cell. to make it look like he's not an informant. By the way, Teaser, you're picking my lottery ticket numbers from now until the end of time. You are the Nostradamus of the show. (laughs) Well, she was kind of wrong. She thought he was undercover cop. Right, but she she she's the first one who suspected he might be some sort of an an informant working undercover. Stool pigeon. Yeah. And she was right. Amazingly, two weeks ago, when I th- was like, that doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. Does it make sense now? <sighs> Kinda. Because we, we, we knew that Jan wasn't really a baddie, didn't we? Oh, just the, There was nothing... The odds of the situation, I think, meant that he couldn't possibly be a baddie again. He, he, seemed, he seemed genuinely concerned and, and, and put out and... He did things and said things that seemed to indicate he wasn't really wrong. And plus, when we meet him all those many months ago, you know, when he's working for Gary, there really wasn't anything in that storyline that would hint at being an informant for human trafficking, was there? Well, that's what I was going to ask. At, at what point did he become the informant? At what point 
did he was discover he this information? Or was what he said to Seb correct and that he was just doing odd jobs there and then found the conditions that the girls were working and living in kind of by accident? Hmm. But he seemed to be part no, of the gang. because, yeah, they treat him like... And Rachel seems to hint that he was brought over and that she could do bad... And again, again, I, there's there's a part of this that doesn't really make sense because a lot of these things are Rachel threatening family back home right. in these countries that are also part of the EU. So what exactly... What exactly are they threatening? Because, I mean, here they would be threatening, you know, to send you back and, you know, report you to ICE and all that stuff. But if all of these people are from Eastern European countries that are also part of the EU and are free to come and go to the UK. Well, they're, they're here legally, but or they're there legally, but they've got their passports so they can't leave. Right. So that's not really the the scuzzy part of it. The scuzzy part of it is forcing them to work in a nail salon and not really pay them. Right. Because uh, and, they're the ones who And hold their means of escape. To get them there when I'm sure it's not it it's not that far of a drive. <laughs> to Romania? From Romania to to the UK. How many hours do you think that would take? I mean, remember when my mom Uh, and Aunt Pat drove from, drove the equivalency of London to Syria when they drove from New Hampshire to Montana? I can't, I can't imagine that this would cost very much unless they put them up in like luxury suites on the way over. I just... I'm I'm not quite sure how how this works if the people being trafficked are also from EU countries. I don't know. It's one thousand six hundred and seventy four miles from Manchester to the middle of Romania. So it's a day and a bit. Yeah. That's not bad. <laughs> we've we've done that just to go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Or or to pick up cider. It's a, it's a day in three hours according to Apple Maps. Yeah, uh, Apple Maps. Mm-hmm. Apple Maps is usually wrong. No, they're supposed to Google Maps. No, Google they're right Maps now. They're better now. Yeah, they're still not as good as Google though. Google, send us money. So still, I'm confused at the, I'm confused by Jan's involvement and what he knew and when. Right. What did he know about this when he was working for Gary? Right. Because the nail salon wasn't... Was the nail salon there? Because nobody seemed to go to it until after we were introduced to Rachel when she threatened... Because she also has a barber shop somewhere as opposed to the nail salon. Remember, she has a barber shop and she was threatening to get... Um, she was going to put Nick out of business. Right. Yeah, because he headhunted one of her best guys who also had an accent, if you'll remember... Oh, so he did. What was his name again? Was uh, it Andre? Yeah, it, Andrea. That's right, Andrea. Yeah, because they thought he was a woman, and right. that's why they wanted to hire him. Yeah. And then it turned out, uh-oh. They were, they were only going to employ... Hot young women. Hot chicks. Yeah. 
Ay, ay, ay. How, how, is, how are they? Well, the reason why they're still in business is because Audrey owns it now and Maria's running it. <laughs> and David's in jail. Right. Hi. So, yeah, I'm still confused about that. Yes. On Friday, though, Seb's home and Eileen is shaken. Seb is worried that he'll never hear from Alina again, which is pretty much where Eileen is with Jan. But then Alina is dropped off at Seb's house by someone in a nice car, probably a social worker or some such. And Alina goes in and is explaining what happened to her. She's been liberated and will be taken to a safe house. Seb offers her a place at Eileen's, but Alina knocks it back and she promises to keep in touch. She's not going to keep in touch, is she? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, and she introduces, you know, him to the woman who she refers to as her babysitter. And she's like, I'm not your babysitter. Yeah, for fuck's sake. But... Yeah, it, it there's a nice long kiss there through the car window at the end, which Abby witnesses. Yeah, because Seb basically sticks his head into the car to kiss her. Right. She's getting kissed whether she likes it or not. Yeah. I don't, I don't think she's on him. Oh. Not that much anyway. She seemed like she was. Yeah, but then he broke his promise to her. I kind of got the impression that she was a little pissed off at him. Because now she doesn't have a job, she doesn't have a place to stay. Well, no, she has a place to stay with this charity. They're, they're oh, the safe house. Yeah, yeah. it's a safe house. It's, hmm. it's probably a step up from a mattress behind a nail oh, salon. Oh, I dare say. With creepy dolls. I, I dare say. But still, <laughs> she, she seemed a little narked at him. I don't know. Maybe it was the accent. Hmm. And then in the pub, Abby tells Seb that she's glad that they're friends again. Aww. He tells her that he'll never understand why she gave the twins away. And she knows. But they share a lovely little smile together. Yeah, that, that was, was nice. lovely. Yeah, I, I liked that. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Mm-hmm. So that's that storyline, which as we kind of intimated at the start before we ran through it, it felt like it came to a head very quickly. After yeah. kind of simmering away and simmering away, and now it's done. Right. It doesn't feel like it's been... Alina was barely in it. Right, yeah. And I mean, it's... Like we said, we have questions as far as Jan being a, an informant and everything. And it feels like the show really kind of was was trying to do a whole like, gotcha, surprise reveal there at the end, you know, which, okay, is a storytelling device, which works sometimes. But as as we intimated, it kind of leaves more questions than answers. And it seems like it would be nice to have revealed this slowly over time and given us an understanding of of how all of this works and everything, because this was an interesting storyline. It addresses something that's real that happens, you know, and it was, it's far more compelling than the stupid roof (laughs) and Gary, the accidental villain. So it kind of makes me sad that it's been wrapped up and yet Gary continues. I dare say that if we had the inclination, which we don't, to go back and watch episodes from previous weeks, once this story has been introduced, although we didn't know what it was really about until last mm-hmm. week for sure, maybe the week before that, if you were to watch those episodes back with the knowledge that Jan is an informant. Mm. I'm pretty sure it'll hold together. He was constantly telling Seb just to leave it, not get mm-hmm. involved because right. uh, it's going to be dangerous, but not telling that it's going to be dangerous. Right. That was always there, I think. I think you would get 
some sense of yes yeah but that could be true just because he's a member of the gang but he's right so it works both ways which right. is why it kind of works yes because you, you can't know for sure but now you know for sure you can Absolutely. watch it back and say yeah this makes okay. sense yeah but before this storyline started presumably this human trafficking operation was was happening behind the scenes that nobody knew about right so what was Jan's involvement in it at that point? Right, yeah. And again, you know, we know Rachel has other businesses close by right. that are sort of the same thing and sort of involved. So why is it that she's always just at the nail salon? What does this mean for her barbershop and the people who work there? And are they also, have they also been trafficked? And does this mean that Maria is going to get a lot of a lot more business in the weeks to come. <laughs> it kind of feels to me that they just decided to make him an informant and not a bad guy, and then didn't give much thought to how that all hangs together. Absolutely, yeah. But anyway, it was exciting. I enjoyed it. Eileen Smash was tremendous. A- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> there should be more action scenes of Eileen punching people in the face. Eileen just lamping the fuck out of people is a joy to watch. It was great. (laughs) Our next storyline tonight this morning is... You said you'd do it. I did. Is Robert's Galway Lies. I'm assuming the Irish Tina's from Galway. On Monday, Robert turns up at Irish Tina's with lots of bags from the co-op. He wants to make a lunch but she's had a sandwich and wants him to leave, thanks very much. He pleads his case, not very effectively, insisting that he wants to be with her when the time is right. She thinks he's only interested because Jed's back in the scene now. She tells him to prove his intentions... Very perceptive. ...or get to fuck. Either way, she's got packing to do, because she's... Out of here. She's looking like she's going to accept Jed's offer to go back to Ireland. Yes. Later, Irish Tina's packed. Robert promises he can give her the security that she needs... And Jed can't do that because he just swans in and out of her life. Irish Tina says, that sounds pretty familiar, Robert. Mm-hmm. Mm. He says he's Ding. changed. He's made Kate the manager so he can spend more time with her. Yeah, that's not true. So Kate's cooking now? Right, yeah. <laughs> Kate's cooking fuck all, mate. This doesn't help you at all. No, no. Do they have other people who cook there? Because it always seems like it's just Robert in that very, very clean and not used at all kitchen. <laughs> right. Then then Jed turns up and he's surprised to see Robert's there. Robert and Jed argue about which one of them is the least of a shit and it looks like they're about to come to blows when Irish Tina throws the pair of them out. She needs time to think, to make up her mind, and until then, she don't want to see the pair of them. Well done, Irish Tina. And that's all that happened on on that storyline this week. I still want to know how Tyler feels about this whole moving back to Ireland thing. I don't think he's going to be happy about it. I don't think he needs to, does he? He's old enough to fend for himself, I think. Right, he's yeah. He's got a job. But I don't think Irish Tina will be happy with him not wanting to go back. Right. I think that might be a hook there. I don't think this is how she's going out of this. Moving back to Ireland? Yes, this isn't going to happen. No. There's going to be a scene at some point. Where... Probably at a wedding. Where it's found <laughs> out that he's knocked her up. Yes. Right. And we're getting close because people have seen them together. 
Tracy's already suspicious. Right, yeah. And when Tracy's suspicious of you, it's not going to be very long before you're found out. I can't remember when when they're supposed to be getting married. <laughs> I don't. Did they have a date? Remember, it's, it's a secret. The secret wedding, the yeah. The secret wedding where it's just going to... Oh, remember, it's going to be Robert's birthday. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he turns a year older than what he actually is. <laughs> yes. When is Robert's birthday? Do we know? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, probably October. No, because Ken's birthday is in October. We can't have two birthdays in the same month, can oh, we? Oh, yes, we can. <laughs> yeah, it's just Robert lying unconvincingly. And yet everybody believing him. Yeah, that's not hugely entertaining. No. Sorry, guys. It's not. It's just so overdone. Yeah. Yeah. Is it meant to be funny? I'm not sure. I think some of it last week was meant to be funny. It was kind of funny. It's like yeah. that scene in Crawl where the one guy's like, it looks like there's a light down there in that crawl space and behind him, the, the woman in the boat who's just helped him to load an ATM into the boat is getting attacked by a crocodile, by an alligator. And it was hilarious. It was funny. <laughs> I was laughing right there in the theater. But then afterwards, it's like, do you think they meant for that to be funny? Because right. <laughs> it was so funny. It's like, ah! I'm not sure it was meant to be funny. <laughs> we did, however, go and see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that at the top of the episode. Mm-hmm. That was good. I enjoyed it. I yeah. Wrote, I wrote a review we of it. Have, yeah. It's the, best movie, it's the best movie we've seen together this summer. We both still have issues with it. Yeah, it's not a perfect movie. It's no. not Tarantino's best, but no, it's, it's, it's more a whole bunch of vignettes sewn together, just to be, you know, a love letter to old Hollywood, which, right. as we all know, Tarantino loves a little bit too much. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a wee bit racist, it's a wee bit sexist, which also, you know, it's Tarantino. Right. So <laughs> I enjoyed it. Leonardo DiCaprio was fantastic in it. So was Brad Pitt. Both of them were fantastic. Yeah. But Leo was, I think, more fantastic in it than yeah. than Brad was. I think Leo's character was more interesting than than Brad's Superman. Anyone uh, interested in uh, my expanded thoughts on it? Gaviano.wordpress.com. Correct. Also, uh, it was the movie where I said to Gav for the first time ever, "My God, Brad Pitt is old." Yeah, he's getting old. He's getting old. So is Leo, but not as old. Our next storyline tonight. <laughs> ah, damn it! This morning. This morning. Ten thirty-two a.m. Betting on Evelyn. On Monday. Oh, I tell you what, Izzy's new wheelchair fair shifts. She yeah. comes tearing around the corner, laden with stuff from Devs. She tells Mary that she's picked up astonishing bargains there. Evelyn has stuff marked down fifty percent, and they're not even near their sell-by date. Sensing something is amiss. Mary hurries round to Dave's to put a stop to this. Mm-hmm. So Mary turns up at Dave's and quickly deduces that Evelyn is reducing the prices of the things that she likes so that she can buy them herself at discount. Mary's about to make a citizen's arrest when Evelyn throws her out. And bans her. Banning her from the shop. Yeah, banned. And tells her that she's lucky that Evelyn doesn't set Cerberus on her. <gasps> He'd have a field day with that arse of yours, she says. Yikes. Mary and Tim are standing at the bar and Tim asks her how it's hanging. And she was, 
she would normally respond that it's hanging very well, thank you very much. Uh-huh. But this Evelyn business is a dilemma. Absolutely. She knows Evelyn is discounting items, but she can't catch her at it as she's always on guard around Mary. Mm-hmm. Tim suggests sending someone else in, which Mary thinks is a capital idea. Yes. Thank you, Tim. James turns up at Dave's. She gives him cheap energy drinks and blueberries, and he reveals that there's a stomach bug going around the Weddy County team, and it looks like the keeper might be out for Friday's game. In comes Tim, who tells him to keep his head up, he'll get a first-team opportunity soon. Then he gets into a heated conversation with Evelyn about Weddy County's chances on Friday, and ends up entering a bet with her. Tim's looking through the reduced items, and Evelyn eyes him suspiciously, and then tells him to buy something, or get out. Mary meets Tim in the street later, and he explains that Evelyn wasn't ticketing anything or putting anything in her bag, but Mary still intends to prove that she's a wrong'un. Then we don't have anything on Wednesday, but we come back to this on Friday when Steve's and Dev's pretending to casually buy some loo roll. He's singing a Tommy O song that he needlessly explains to Evelyn, and then he asks her if she's running a book, because he wants to put 20 quid on Tommy scoring the first goal. For American listeners re- listening... Luro means toilet paper. Bathroom tissue, I think is how it's described over here, isn't it? Bathroom tissue? Isn't toilet paper terribly crude? Toilet paper. Nobody says bathroom tissue. Bathroom tissue. It says it sometimes it says bathroom tissue on the on the packaging. Mm-hmm. But nobody calls it that. Luro. We're very crude here in America. We're a country full of crude people. Yeah, you're not Puritan at all. <laughs> she tells him to come back later and she'll make it worth his while Aww. but not like that Aww. back at back at Dave's I wouldn't put it past Steve I wouldn't put it past him oh. she's done everything else on the street <laughs> he needs to tick those boxes oh jeez who has Steve not slept with Evelyn Evelyn Rita oh Jesus Maybe Jenny, but maybe not. Oh, I don't know if he's done Jenny or not. I don't think so. And then, like, all the younger... He hasn't had sex with Gemma or Emma. And he um, hasn't slept with the lesbians. Even Kate, <sighs> who was trying to sleep with straight people to have a baby. I'm, she having, absolutely, I'm having a hard enough time keeping up with she, this without you going off on a she, fucking riff about... She Steve absolutely should have gone to Steve because Steve, apparently, his seed is very strong. Super spooge. Yes. Yeah. Back at Dev's, in comes James who tells Evelyn that Tommy O has come down with that stomach bug. Uh-oh. And he'll be sitting out tonight as a precaution. Evelyn wonders who will be replacing him. This is lovely stuff. Yes. Yeah. Be- did you mention that when Steve was in and wanting to place a bet, he was trying to tell Evelyn that Tommy O was like the worst player on the on the team. Oh, I don't think I mentioned that. Yeah, because that's important to that the story. That is important, yeah. Steve's back at Dev's. <laughs> Evelyn offers him 25-1 to 1, uh, for Tommy to score the first goal because he couldn't hit a cow's arse with a banjo. He takes a bet and Evelyn sends him on his way telling him to keep his mouth shut about this racket. Then Steve and Tyrone are in the Rovers dressed in their Weddy County t- uh, kit discussing County's chances with Johnny. And Johnny rather uh, astutely remarks that it's the first game of the season. It's all downhill from here. Yes. And James comes in and he reveals that Tommy O won't be starting tonight. 
Steve is outraged and very quickly deduces that Elon has been getting inside information from James and he tells Ty that his granny is operating an illegal betting shop at Dev's. Much more quickly than one would suppose of Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there should have been... Because we just want to wrap this up really quickly, don't <laughs> Seriously, we? yeah. Evelyn is called to the rovers where she is confronted by Steve and Tyrone. Somehow, though, Evelyn manages to navigate the accusations and turns them back on Steve. Rather than Steve phoning Dev, how about Evelyn phones Dev? It takes two to make a bet, she says, and she bids him good day. She's not wrong. Tyrone sups his pint. At least we got that sorted out, he says. That was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> that was hilarious. I, I continue to love Evelyn no matter what she's doing they, they absolutely get it was great that she was just working in the shop right it was great that she's discounting stuff that she wants to get herself right yeah and now she's, she's banning people and now she's operating a, a gambling a gambling ring as of course she is of course she is <laughs> why wouldn't she be doing that because this is her oh fantastic next Emma the doormat on Wednesday, Emma and Gemma are in Roy's Rolls ordering various breakfast items with an extra sausage. Emma tells Gemma that she's glowing, but she's dead stressed about the situation at home, so Emma wants to treat Gemma to a lovely day. Aww. And she's booked a table for her and Gemma at the bistro or somewhere. Yes, the bistro. But, but there's been a change in the plan. Gemma is actually going to go out with Chesney to get baby stuff, and he's going to take her out. Yeah, she's quite dressed up for just going to buy baby stuff. Emma's not all that bothered because her dad's in the hospital, she says, so she can go and visit him instead. But Gemma, oh, she was kind of hoping that Emma could babysit Joseph. And Emma, because she's Emma, agrees. Yeah. Emma has brought Joseph into Roy's roles and is pleased to see that he's feeling better because apparently he's got a cold or something. No. Evelyn calls her a, mo- a modern-day Florence Nightingale. Maria then comes in and she offloads Liam onto Emma. Evelyn tries to get Emma some cash, but Emma knocks it back. Evelyn calls her a fool. Yes. Then later, Maria's back to collect Liam, but oh, not really. She asks if Emma would babysit the Bairns, as Ali has asked her out tonight. Emma continues to be a doormat and agrees to this. And then she agrees to take Joseph as well and to have a sleepover between Liam and Joseph. Right. Yikes. Then on Friday, Poor em- Emma. Emma's on the phone to her dad. He's going into the hospital today to get suspected stomach ulcers checked out, and Emma insists that he'll be fine. Then Ali bumps into Maria at Roy's Rolls and they have some low-level innuendo about maybe getting their holes later tonight. Emma's at the barber's and quite upset. I don't like seeing Emma upset. No. It makes me upset. Oh. Don't have Emma upset. It just pushes it just pushes my button seeing her upset. It's horrible. Aww. It is horrible. Oh. Her dad looks like he's going to be kept in longer than expected. He wanted to make Weddy County's match tonight and everything and she's so upset and she's trying to hide it. And it breaks my heart. Aww. At the barbers, prior to getting her hole, Maria is quizzing Ali about stomach ulcers. They are easily treatable, says Ali. And Maria explains that Emma's mum left her dad last year and he hasn't been right since. Mm-mm. And comes... No. His wife has left him. His second wife, after Emma's mum. Oh. He and, Emma, he and Emma's mum broke up when Emma was still little. Oh. Oh, I've completely misheard that. Yeah. Wife, not mum. And in comes Emma, who has been crying and apologetic for interrupting. Her dad doesn't have an ulcer after all. He's got stomach cancer. Correct. In the rovers, Maria finally uh, recognises that she's been a total whore bag to Emma, and she apologises. 
then Emma gets a call and it's her mum. Mm-hmm. And judging by one side of that conversation, it seems that Emma's mum doesn't give a shit about Emma's dad and will not be joining them from Australia. And later, Emma's talking to Maria about it. Her mum hasn't been home in years, she says. Yes, she said that the breakup was kind of more on her dad and, and her mother still kept kind of a flame for him until he remarried and then she let him go. Uh. And, yeah. How did you, you missed that whole conversation? <laughs> there was a squirrel outside that just <laughs> And yet I got it when I watched it at like one thirty in the morning. <laughs> you watched it that late? Yes. So I'm like, ah uh, I want to go back to sleep, but I really, really need to finish watching this. And I was waiting for all my podcasts to end, but they just there was far too much fresh air. That I needed to listen to, so I just paused Terry Gross and went back to, and and watched both episodes, and then I came back to bed and turned fresh air back on and went to sleep. <laughs> That's the story at like of that. Two o'clock in the morning, and then I was up at like nine thirty this morning. I slept a lot yesterday, though. You were up before nine thirty. Oh yeah, because I was back before nine thirty. It was like nine fifteen when I got back. Yeah. Yeah, you're up at about eight, I think. Yeah. That's when you got up. Yeah, Lots because that me guy up. messaged me and asked about the lamps and could I meet him in 30 minutes? And I was like, yes. Our penultimate storyline. This morning. This morning. <laughs> this is about Carla. Okay. On Wednesday, Peter comes into Roy's Rolls to see Carla, who is still blaming him from the group chat shite. He wants to take her out, but she says she's busy. And he says... What are you busy at? And, and I like, yelled at the TV, none of your fucking business, Peter. <laughs> you don't own her. He finds it very hard to believe that Carla's busy. Yeah, fuck you. You're not the only thing in her life. Go fuck yourself, Peter. Oh, that's had no philosophy. I just, I hate this. Re- I know, I know so many people love this relationship. I know so many people love the two of them together, but I hate it. <laughs> I hate it with a passion. Because Peter is far too controlling, and Carla is a very strong, independent character. So, to see somebody trying to control her just drives me nuts. He's not learned his lesson. No, he really hasn't. That group chat, shite. Yeah, go maybe fuck I'll, yourself, maybe Peter. I'll, maybe I'll learn a lesson from that. Yeah, maybe back off a wee bit. So Sally and Maria are about to head round to the hot tub when they bump into Carla. After Sally brags about uh, having the only hot tub in Weatherfield, she says she'd be honoured if Mrs Connor could join them. Carla nips off to get her cosy and some bubbles, and Sally reckons that Carla's maybe a little bit jealous of her. (laughs) That was hilarious. (laughs) Oh, Sally. In the hot tub, which looked freezing, Carla says that she's... They don't look comfortable in it at all, I don't think. Really? Mm. Carla says that she's getting back to her old self and has no interest in getting back into the business world, though. She's enjoying being a lady of leisure and is on the apple juice while she's on her meds. But then Sally and Maria have to go to work, and that's quite an odd. <laughs> Oddly just leave Carla in the yeah, hot tub on her own. Yeah, as long as you like. Stare at the clouds or something. Meanwhile, Roy has been having a shit day. <laughs> Shona has the day off because it was meant to be her wedding today and he's rushed off his feet so he has no time for Carla being passive-aggressive about the WhatsApp group or when she's interested in knowing why her fingers have gone wrinkly in the hot tub. He's trying to get a couple of plates out when, off-camera, he slips on some beans that he's just spilt and falls over. 
<laughs> Next we see it, Carla's helping out, bringing some calm to the chaotic cafe. Roy is in considerable pain. I just need my painkillers, he shouts, and wants to shut up for the day, but Carla agrees to help him out. She's finished with punishing him, which is nice. Yes. And it was funny because, like, halfway through the episode, I texted you and I said, why is everybody being so mean to Roy? Because right. people were being real shits to Roy. Right. Like, Claudia, I understand. But she's like, Roy, <laughs> I smell toast pudding. <laughs> there's <laughs> a number I understand, of people. But there's like a number of other people. Like, Gemma's real awful to him as well. And that's yeah. unlikely. Uh, everyone's just trying to stress him out so he has this fall. Slip and falling beans. Mm-hmm. Because of course it was beans. Of course beans. But then on Friday, what we have is Carla being in charge and basically getting everybody's order wrong. Correct. Cooking terribly. Yes. She's got, she's given it cold tea. She's got something else. So she's put red sauce on when when he wanted for, brown, wanted sauce. brown sauce. Yes, and for that was all of this. Sean. She's blaming. Shona for this. Yeah, and Shona's like, fuck you. These are your orders, not mine. Then Steve is in Roy's rolls and he's left most of his lunch or brunch or whatever it was untouched and Carla wonders why and he says, it wasn't made with love. No. Carla, sad. Carla blames Shona again and throws the plate away. Then in comes it's Joe Lafoe. She's surprised that Carla's working behind the counter in the cafe and Carla awkwardly explains the situation. She's here to see Carla. It seems that she might have an offer for her. And later, in the Rovers, she offers Carla a job working for her online knicker operation. And she tells Carla to have a little think about it. Yes. Yeah, she doesn't want the knicker people. Just Carla. Right. Not interested in making an order. Nope. She's got something else sorted out and she wants Carla to be part of that. Yes. Because apparently the fashion business has moved on, although that comes in a later conversation with other people. Yeah, probably not going to mention that, I don't think. Hmm. So, where do we think we're going with this? Carla seems to be getting better, s- yeah. slowly, which I'm yes. glad that's been taken at, a, at an Slow easy pace. pace. Yes. Rather than what they usually do is... Just, oh, she's all better. She's better now. Yay! And she's off the booze. Right. And she's feeling better for it. Absolutely. And she's now she's got this little decision to make about whether she goes back into the business world that she said... She had no interest in doing. Do you think she'll be able to stay away from Joe Lafoe's offer? No, I think she's absolutely considering it. She seemed like she was considering it then and there. Right. And I think it would be good for her. I think it would be an opportunity to work doing something she loves, but not with this whole weight of what the factory meant to her family-wise right you know she doesn't she it'll be her working in a business she loves without the specter of aiden behind her shoulder and the expectations of johnny and the ghost of rana shoulder yes says the ghost of rana right but i mean the ghost of aiden was a specter far far longer before rana died you know you know she had this pressure on her she's got to make it work for her dead brother right She's got to make it work for her father that she doesn't really know and, you know, who does not seem to love her as much as he loves the children that he actually raised. So, 
she's better away from the factory. <clears throat> yes. She's better away from all of these people. Yeah. <laughs> as much <laughs> yes. as possible. And as far away from Peter as you can possibly get. Yes, because what happens next in the storyline? Oh, nothing. I don't have anything in that storyline. That's it. Later on, Johnny is talking to Peter in the back garden of the rovers. Right. And Johnny is informing Peter because Johnny hasn't learned his lesson either about this whole WhatsApp thing. No, neither of them have. No. Yeah. Johnny's informing Peter that Carla had this meeting with Jolifo and it looked like she was maybe making her an offer and Carla seemed quite pleased with it. And Peter is unsure about this because, of course, this is something that's going to take Carla away from Peter, uh-huh. which is a good thing. Space. Right. Something that he can't control. Right. Yeah. And Johnny says, well, it's better than her being over at Roy's because she can't even make a cup of tea. <laughs> that's right. And that's when Carla comes around the corner and says something about... She, she hears the tea She's part. overheard part of that conversation. Yeah. Not all yeah, of it. Not the important part. So, did yeah. you, you didn't have that in the Gary part, did no, you? No, I didn't write any of that down because I just... Do you know what? I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> I couldn't be bothered. Yeah, but it seems important because, it, once again, it's Johnny and it Peter... important, you're right. You know nosing in on on Carla's life which I knew was going to happen when I saw Johnny watching Carla and Joe Lafoe have their conversation right. a suspicious look on his face oh Our men final story tonight men are the worst <laughs> yeah we suck. present company excluded oh well thank you very much you're welcome Gary the hair <laughs> on <laughs> Monday Gary Gary is such bad hair. Gary is opening up his little furniture shack thing under the arches. He has a wad of cash, presumably from well his lit. his loan sharking, that he hides in a desk drawer when Izzy rolls round, telling her that he's paid her too much maintenance this week. Gary telling shrugs him. it off. You said telling her. Okay. Gary shrugs it off, saying he's sitting on the gold mine and he'll own half of Weatherfield in a year. He also reveals that he's renting one of the fancy flats on Crimea Street. So that's quite fancy, isn't it, Helen? Ooh, yeah. Ryan and Alia have a dull conversation about her going to Copenhagen with uni mates, and then Ryan sees Gary packing up the furniture stuff and manages to convince Gary that he can look after the place while Gary goes off to extort money from someone. Gary tells him to be there when he gets back and pays him 15 quid. Later on, Gary's back from wherever he was, and Ryan reveals that he's sold a couple of pieces and made a couple of hundred quid in at the bargain. Gary's quite impressed, and Ryan leaves, asking Gary to bear him in mind for future work. Yeah. Why do you think Gary stupidly put money in a piece of furniture he's trying to sell? Why do you think he did that? Because he's got a safe. He's got this apartment on Crimea Avenue. Why would he do this? Why? So he can beat Ryan up later? It's so stupid. (laughs) It's it's not the dumbest thing in this storyline this week. But it's pretty dumb. Oh, have we, have we gone over the, the bit that you really objected about, or is this coming up? Oh, it's coming up. Okay, good. <laughs> Gary nabs Ryan in the street later, asking him if one of the items he sold was a desk, which Ryan confirms he sold it to Mary, and this is this is stupid. Gary asks if he checked the drawers first because he had 650 quid in it. Ryan apologises, but Gary says it's not his fault, and off he goes. I don't know why Ryan Doesn't said it just- was Mary. And didn't say, oh, it was just some bloke, I don't know. Right, yeah. Or why Ryan doesn't just come clean right then and there. 
Because why wouldn't he? Right. Why wouldn't he? Uh, Ryan comes- That's a lot of money. It's not like finding, you know, 20 bucks in an old purse or something. 650 quid. Right. Ryan comes into the pub. A pint for him and have one yourself, Shawnee says. And we see that Ryan seems to have an awful lot of cash in his pocket. Yeah. So again, I'm just, I just... Why? Why? Did, just somebody bought it. Right. Because you know that, that Gary's going to go to Mary. Right. And you know Mary's going to say, well, I don't have it. You know that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. <sighs> and again, why not just give Gary the money back? You've got it in your pocket right then and there. And at this point, you know it's Gary's money. Uh-huh. Which he stupidly put in a desk he's trying to sell. Right. Oh, Look more like a dresser. Gary's at the flower shop looking for Mary or Tracy, but it's locked up. And Gary... Uh, oh, that, that, written down, that same sentence written down twice for some reason. What? Gary's at the flower shop looking for Mary or Tracy, but it's locked up. Gary's at the flower shop <laughs> looking for Mary or Tracy, but it's locked up. <laughs> And then Gary's at the flower shop looking for Mary or Tracy, but it's locked up. I don't know why I've got it written down twice. <sighs> Must have paste, copied and pasted it. Some, I don't know. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Lay off the booze there, Broom. Oh, no. <laughs> there was no booze involved. This was, I did this on my lunch hour. <laughs> That's proof of what? <laughs> on Wednesday. Gary's in the florist at first light, claiming to be looking for a small uh, bouquet for Izzy. Mary conveniently has to go outside, which gives Gary a chance to rummage through the desk, but it doesn't find anything except Mary's junk. Yeah, so, there's so to like speak. ribbons and feathers and stuff for making bouquets. Mary catches him. Remove your hands from my drawers immediately, she says. Absolutely, because that's hilarious. Yep. She can't believe that he was trying to pinch her feathers. But not like that. He explains what happened and accuses Mary of stealing the money. Mary is outraged and insists that she checked both drawers before taking the desk and there was no money. Gary realises that the real culprit here is Ryan. Yes, and and she says that Ryan cleaned the dresser all up before before she bought it as well. Right. Gary goes to speed dial and accuses Ryan of stealing the money again. Ryan doesn't appreciate this and wants an apology when the money is eventually turned when the money eventually turns up. Gary tells him that if he finds out he stole the money, he's a dead man, and then confirms that, yes, this is indeed a threat. Mm-hmm. Because Gary's a hard man now. Yes. At speed dial, Alia's giving Gary a hard time about Rana, and then as she's waffling on, she reveals that she and Ryan are off to Copenhagen on a little uh, holiday away. Gary thought that Ryan was skint, but he's coming to some cash now after selling his old records, and Gary, who pretends to be charmed by this story, is fucking furious. Yes, he is. So Gary tracks Ryan down and pushes him into a wall. Where's my money? Ryan admits to spending it on the holiday and threatens to go to the police if Gary hits him. Gary thinks the police will be very interested in his little savings account and Alia will be keen to see the receipts from those records that he supposedly sold. Right. Gary wants his money back, with interest. Yes. And this last detail seems to surprise Ryan. You want interest? Yeah. Because he's a tough loan shark now. Yep. Gary says, because I've had to do all this running about. Yeah. And because I'm inconvenienced, because this money, which is a large amount of money, right. is now gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ryan and Alia are chatting about Copenhagen, and Ryan confesses to finding the cash in an old desk. He didn't sell these records after all. It was Gary's money, and he wants it back with interest. And now Alia is shocked by this little detail. She calls Gary a pussycat, and gives Ryan a small row for lying to her. Yes. So, 
Alia is going to get Ryan killed, is, is what this is about. <laughs> or at least severely beat up because she's like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You don't have to pay him interest. He's a pussy cat. And it's like, have, have you not been watching the show <laughs> recently, <laughs> Alia? On Friday at the factory slash community centre, Sarah has some bad news for the knicker people. The insurance won't cover the damages to the factory. They're only going to pay out 20 grand. Uh And the only option they have is to wind the company up and split the money. Yeah. If Nick agrees. Uh Uh-oh. And all through this, Kirk, for some reason, is sure that Sarah is joking. Yeah. Kirk is really dumb this week. So, so very stupid. Yeah. It's, It's funny sometimes when it's random and it's only like once or twice in a week. But they seem to really go over the top with it this week because... It, it is milked dry on Friday. Absolutely. And there's a couple of bits that I find amusing, which, which we'll get to. But mostly, oh, cuck, shut up. <laughs> Just yeah. please shut up. Ryan apparently knows the words to Copenhagen and is singing away when he's approached by Gary. He wants 200 quid next week as a first instalment. Mm-hmm. Ryan suspects that he'll be skint, but promises to do his best. And Gary doesn't look all that happy about no. Ryan's level of commitment to pay him back right at the old garage gary's doing his best to sell jenny a zebra skin rug but to no avail he goes into one of the cupboards that's uh, and he pulls out a mysterious blue key yeah so that cupboard did that come from where did that where did this blue key come from i'm i'm assuming because Gary initially doesn't know where this key goes. Did you pick up? I picked up on that as well, I think. He didn't know what the key was for. Right, because that whole, the next scene with, at Roy's, when uh, Michael talks to him, that's the whole point of that conversation. Yeah, because he recognises the key as belonging to uh, Safest House's storage. Yes. Which and, was handy. And also points out that it's to one of the smaller units. units which is handy. But it doesn't narrow, it really shouldn't have narrowed it down as much as it does. It narrows it down down. very much. Yeah. This must have, this cupboard must have come from... um, Rick the Chins. Rick's old office. So he must have cleared out Rick's old office and is running everything through his furniture shop now. That's kind of... The only conclusion I could come to as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Gary claims to be storing doll's house furniture in there uh, to Michael, and he says he's going to clean it out today. Yes. Then Gary is in the Rovers trying to pay for a pint with a £50 note. Which uh, freaks the fuck everybody out. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Nobody has ever seen a 50, I mean, a £100 note, I, I can imagine. Not a thing. Well, if it was a thing. But a fifty-pound note, really? When you know flowers cost twenty-five, you don't see a lot of fifty-pound notes. Really? Yeah. I, I don't think I ever had a fifty-pound note. You huh. do. When we talk about money on a upcoming common language podcast, we'll learn more about this. But hundred-pound notes are very Intriguing. rare, and you don't get them from the Bank of England. But yeah, I've still had 50 bucks. A $50 bill. Right, yeah, you usually have like two 20s and a 10. Right. Yeah, it's very rare. It's it's like a 50 cent pieces. You only get them at blackjack tables. Correct. That was my joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I agree that it's unusual to see it. 
but people but shouldn't be losing their shit about it. Right, and it seems like everybody is losing their shit about it. Right. So she's, uh, Jenny's reluctant to accept it, so he ends up paying for the Knicker people's drinks and Michael's as well. He claims he sold a table or something and that's where he got the 50 from. Later, when he's standing at the puggy, he gets a call from Derek Milligan. I wonder who Derek Milligan is. Well, does... I thought he called Derek Milligan from one of those cell phones that he finds in the storage unit. Because he got the 50 pound note from the storage unit. Hasn't been there yet. No, because I could have swore that Derek Milligan comes up on the phone when he's in the storage unit. No, he's still in the rovers at the puggy when that happens. Really? Yeah. Hmm. The Knicker people are in Roy's roles and Carla fucks up their orders, blaming Shona, who isn't standing for it. Gary, meanwhile... Which we've already discussed in the Carla. Overhears some talking about the insurance payout and how it's only 500 quid each. And that's uh, pish for all the year's service that they have. <coughs> Privately, Gary offers to help Izzy out, but she blames him for putting them in this situation in the first place. 500 quid each out of how 20 many, grand. How many Knicker people are there? Because... This is one of the things that annoyed me is that much few, much fewer of the Knicker people are at the business meetings and uh, part of the decision yeah, there's four or that five of them. really affects their lives. Not even all of the people with speaking parts who work at the factory no. are there. So Paul's not there. and Beth's not there. Beth's not there, which is weird because mm-hmm. Kirk's there. Because Kirk's there. Although, haven't they kind of shunned... No, Beth Beth wouldn't be there because she no longer has her shares. Oh, that's right. She sold sold her shares. That's right. Yeah. But we can work out how many Knicker people there are by dividing 20,000 by 500. Well, no, because half of that 20,000 will go to Nick because Nick still owns half of the factory. Oh, good point. So... So, 500 divided by 10,000. No, 10,000 divided by 500. Yeah, that's what I meant. It's 20. There are 20 Knicker people then. Hmm. Or maybe 21, because as as we pointed out, Beth wouldn't be getting a share in this money because she sold her shares. And this is assuming that everything is divided equally amongst all the Knicker people. You know, and there aren't any Knicker people who get more because they've been working there longer or have more important jobs like Sarah. I don't know. I think we're putting far too, far more thought into this than the yes. show has. So Gary's at the storage place. He finds his unit and opens it up, and it's full of random electrical equipment. But behind a big TV, he finds a safe. Well, behind an empty big TV box. Right. Because he moves that far too easily for there <laughs> to still be a TV. All of those boxes, he's like picking them up and putting them down and stuff. And I'm like, there's nothing in any of those boxes. <laughs> that not- hairdryer box is empty. That stereo box is empty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he finds a bunch of phones. Meanwhile, Nick is at the factory slash community centre and he thinks that they should fight. uh, They should fight for the factory and if they lose, they should find an investor and open up new premises. Izzy, for whatever reason, asks Kirk for his opinion. So that we can get another Kirk joke. Right. Back at the storage unit, Gary can't guess a safe combination, but then he has a brainwave. He phones Steve, who doesn't answer, and then he phones Tim, and he pretends it needs information for one of Jake's school projects. What year was Weddy County formed? 1887, says Tim. And wouldn't you know it, that's the combination, and the safe is full of lovely, lovely cash. So, so 
Rick the Chin was a Weathy County fan? He was. He had the Weathy County uh, calendar up in his office. Oh, that's right. Remember? Okay. All right. Then that makes sense. In Roy's roles, Nick is explaining the insurance company decision to Leanne. Because the roof wasn't maintained, they're treating it as self-inflicted. Insurance company, says Leanne, and she kind of... Mm-hmm. Then Nick is standing outside the factory, just staring at it, and Leanne tells him to look elsewhere. And also, Leanne, within earshot of Carla, says, well, it's all really her fault then. Right. Leanne tells him to look elsewhere, but Nick thinks his criminal record might get in the way of uh, going into business with anyone else. Or even just finding a job. Right. Leanne says it might be a blessing, but Nick thinks it's hard to let go. Leanne says, unless someone falls out the sky and just offers six figures, it's best just to say fuck it. Then someone does fall out of the sky. It's Gary who introduces Nick to Derek. He's willing to invest. He's willing to rebuild the factory so long as Nick signs up to a long-term lease and Gary's in charge of the rebuild. Derek can trust Gary, apparently. Nick scoffs at it, but Derek makes a decent point. No one else is queuing up to bail them out. Yeah. But they also haven't really been looking for anybody else. No, they just started us today. Right, yeah. And, and Nick doesn't ask for any credentials. He doesn't ask what sort of business he's already in. Doesn't ask for his phone number or where he lives. Asks nothing about this guy who's going to be investing a lot of money. Well, he must get his phone number because he calls him later on. Or doesn't... But yes, there's no due diligence done here. No, whatsoever. none. Nick is Zero. Round, Nick is round at number eight discussing the Derek offer. Not even a Vogel search. Did you notice Vogel was back? Right, yeah. Because Gary Vogel something in the storage unit. Sarah isn't keen because Gary will be involved. And, and she's spe- got a point. Nick speculates that the works will be subcontracted and he'll hardly be there. And they should run it by the Nicker people. Sarah says that she knows what the Nicker people will say. They have a conscience. Gary is outside the factory sizing up the rebuild job when Nick ambles by and says the deal's off because Sarah wants nothing to do with Gary. So Gary spies Izzy rolling by and spills the beans that the future of the factory is basically in his hands and that there is an offer that's been turned down. Yeah, and not only does Izzy believe him, she seems to think that it's a good idea when, as you'll recall, last week it was Izzy who threw Gary out of her house and said, I can't trust you and I can't trust your money. You need to be on the straight and narrow from now on when it comes to paying me money and stuff. And this is a beauty of and the plan here because it's not Gary's money, it's Derek's money. Yeah, but Gary's the one who's going to be doing and the nobody work. nobody knows, well, nobody knows where the money's coming from. They all think it's Derek. And so long as it's coming from Derek, then it's, hmm. it's fine. But if Gary's involved, you'd think that but he's, Izzy would suck a tooth at this. But he's involved from a, a building point of view, which hmm. is his job. Yeah. Sarah's round at Roy's Rolls getting business advice from Carla. Carla basically tells her that she'd be good at the job if the factory reopened or she can buy a couple of pairs of shoes with the 500 quid. Gary might be a wrong one, but the factory collapse was Carla's fault and business is business, she says. Then some expensive shoes for a, a, a street where people freak out at a £50 note. Right. Now Izzy's telling the rest of the Knicker people about the Derek offer and Sally says she'll be fucked if she kowtows to Sarah fucking Platt. The Knicker people are having another shareholder meeting in the pub. Only, there's only like six yeah. of the 20 <laughs> right. there. They're pissed at Sarah, who doesn't want Gary involved. Leanne tells them it's business. They're not technically employing Gary, this Derek character is. Sarah is still unsure, but the others seem more certain. Leanne thinks they should compromise. Izzy is keen to know Kirk's opinion. They vote, and everyone agrees that rebuilding the factory is the best idea. 
Sarah is pissed and storms out, and Sean thinks Rana will be spinning in her grave. And he's not wrong. Then we see Derek and Gary in Gary's van. Mm -hmm. Derek gets a call. Here we go, says Gary. And Derek confirms that Nick is in, and Gary is elated. Back at the community centre, Nick wants to put this all behind him and to run the place together as equals, and Sarah agrees. It's a truce, and she'll drop her case against him. Back in the van, it Yeah, because let's all remember, Sarah's bringing a case against Nick to get him completely removed from right. the factory. Let's all remember that. Back in the van, it seems that Derek isn't the man we thought he was. He's just a regular uh, no, punter. No, he's absolutely the man we thought he was. <laughs> he's just a regular punter of Gary's. He's not a super investor after all. Gary's going to pay for the rebuild. They pay Derek rent, then Derek pays it back to Gary. Derek's debt is shrinking as they speak. This is all sorted. And that is how we end this week's episode. And then Derek asks Gary for more money. Yeah, because they're all imbeciles. Why not? This is the dumbest plan I've ever heard. It's so so convoluted. It's so ridiculous. Was there really that much money in that safe in the storage unit? Oh, yeah. Did you mention that there was a safe in the storage unit that was filled with money? Yes, you did. Yes, I did. Extensively. Yes. And then I complained about the TV box being empty. You didn't touch on the fact that the uh, combination was so easy to figure out. Right, yeah. He's like he's like trying a whole bunch of other things. He's trying a whole bunch of other things. To be fair to Rick the Chin, I'm sure he didn't suspect that anybody was ever going to open up his wee little storage unit right. filled with weird random things mm-hmm. or empty boxes of weird random things. So the plan is <sighs> Gary pays for the factory rebuild through Derek. Correct. The Nicker people and Nick Pay rent sign a long-term lease. With Derek. With Derek. Derek then gives that money to Gary. Although he will have, he will be under no legal obligation no, of to do not. so. So you know where this is headed. Well, he seems a bit of a pussy. I don't think he'd do that. I don't know. He's desperate for money. That's why he keeps doing this thing with with Gary. That's the whole reason why he's he's in on this. Is because he's a dumb guy who who obviously doesn't have a job and or maybe has a job that doesn't pay as much as he would like and I don't know. Why do people why why is this? Why? None of this makes any sense and it's so dumb and I just want the whole factory thing to be over. I want them to get the money from the insurance company and for Underworld to be gone forever (laughs) and everybody to find other jobs and be happy. You know, because as as Sarah, as it was Sarah who says to Nick that the fashion industry has moved on and things are different now and this whole making undercrackers by hand in a back alley factory isn't isn't how things are done anymore it all comes from china i just don't see how gary's planning on making millions out of this this is a very slow burning i don't think he's i don't think the plan is to make millions i think that the whole reason he's doing this is his convoluted way to make amends oh so it's this is his conscience that's telling him to do this i believe so I mean, that's not very evil, is it? He's going to be making the money back through eventually. the whole rent eventually. But yeah, this is just to make amends and maybe get Sarah back. I think oh. he's going to try because he's stupid. 
Oh, I didn't take it as that. I thought this was all part of his. Like when he said, "Give him a year, he's got the own half a weather field." I think that is his ambition. There was to is to have this huge portfolio of interests and in, in the street. Do you think Gary will ever successfully own half of Weatherfield? Well, he's not the brightest bulb in the lot. They're trying to build him up as this uh, new Mike Baldwin. Mike Baldwin was the the wheel and dealing businessman who used to own half of the, knick- the Knicker factory. Yeah, way back in the in the nineteen eighties, said Johnny, who's sitting on the toilet for some reason. Would you stop? That? <laughs> I don't know. I uh, just found it on Friday. It, it was. It was really annoying me. <laughs> uh, and it really annoyed me too. Uh, the fact that not all of the Knicker people were present for this major decision. The fact that there's this whole convoluted scheme, which doesn't make any sense. The whole storage unit thing. Because when he went to that storage place, there were like a hundred of those small little things. But he doesn't try the key in each and every lock and then finally gets to this one. He walks down the aisle and the first one he tries... Unlocks it. And he's looking around as if places like that don't have security cameras everywhere. Everywhere. Right. You know? I... Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have the number and written on it? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it <coughs> isn't it lucky? Isn't it lucky that he just happened to be openly looking at this key and that Michael, who knows exactly where that key goes, just happens to walk by him at Roy's? Yeah, that was isn't awful. Isn't that lucky? That was awful. I, it's just... <laughs> The whole storyline is awful. I think we're kind of seeing Gary more villainous now than he was before. His, his treatment of Ryan was... Yeah, but Ryan deserves it because Ryan's being a tit. He really does deserve it, yeah. That's true. You know, I would I would threaten to beat Ryan up if he stole $650 from me. True. And he knew it. He knew it before he spent all of that on the trip to Copenhagen. He knew that it was Gary's money. Yeah. So when he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I just, I just assumed that it belonged to some little old lady who." No. Like, no. 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 And even that, you know, like I said, it's not just twenty bucks. That's a lot of money. You should have turned it in, or spoken to Gary about it. Say, where did you get this? Because there was all this money. Gary shouldn't have been leaving money. In a piece of furniture he's trying to sell. That was stupid. Yep. And we're supposed to suspect that he's some criminal mastermind now when he leaves 650 quid in the, the unlocked drawer <laughs> of a dresser that he's trying to sell? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm. Really? <laughs> and also his hair is stupid. And also there were lots and lots of references to him being ginger this week. Which kind of got on my nerves. It's kind of insinuating that ginger people are evil or something. I don't know. Because like Ryan makes a crack about how Gary must have to use a lot of sunblock when he goes away. And Gary's like, what do you mean by that? Yep. It's like, because of your coloring. Yep. And somebody else doesn't. Jenny says something about him being ginger, there's, I think. Well, she can talk because she's ginger as well. But there's, there's something about the 50 pound note because it's red and... I think, is it Kirk that says something stupid about that? I don't know. Yeah, somebody says something stupid. Anyway, moment of the week. Oh, Eileen punching Rachel in the face. Uh, Come on, that was great. It was great. But and it has to be something from that storyline, and that's the best part of that storyline, was Rachel getting punched in the face. 
I okay, well, an honourable mention then for Emma because I thought Emma was superb this week. I have a feeling we might be giving it to Emma next week. Okay, well, let, let's let's hope so. <laughs> okay, so Eileen, clothesline and Rachel is our moment of, of the week. week. Moment of the week. The boring of the moment of the week. Week week. Um, Rita complaining to Ken about Brian eating all the lemon drops. No, that was cute. I liked that. What I thought was boring was Emma and Jim asking for extra sausage. That seemed to go on forever as well. I quite liked to read a bit. Because mm. lemon bonbons was a, an interesting complication to that story. Mm. Yeah, alright. Emma and Gemma ordering extra sausage is our... Boring moment of the week. <laughs> Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this up? It is 11.20 in the a.m. Wow. You look like you have something on your mind. Talk to us. We're here for you. The talk of the street at gmail.com is how you you get in touch with us via (laughs) email. How you can leave us a voicemail on Skype or leave us a couple of bucks in our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and our blog is the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with a shorter edition of The Talk of the Street. Bye! Cheerio! This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.